Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Today's guest is Yvonne Mashburn-Schmidt. She's a genealogist who focuses on Georgia and Deep South research, genetic genealogy, and forensic genealogy. Yvonne founded her company, The Georgia Genealogist, in 2013. She's joining us today from Vidalia, Georgia. Yvonne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sanjay, for having me. So I'm excited to have you on because I've done a little bit of genealogy searching myself uh, on my own family tree and, and my wife's family tree. But before we start talking about that, why don't you give us a minute or two about your background and what got you to where you are right now? Well, in my past life, I was a partner in an insurance agency. I got divorced, sold my partnership, moved back to Atlanta from where I am now. Um, And in 2000, I I was already doing some genealogy. In 2010, um, during the downturn, I got fired an email. So um, I put my pillow over my head for a few months and then decided I need to make money or I'm going to starve and lose everything I own. So it was a little disconcerting because genealogists are not known for making a living doing what we do. Um, It's very difficult and you have to struggle somewhat. But I jumped in, decided what I needed to do, what education I needed, and the rest is history. Yeah. Have have you ever started a company like this before? Or did you do anything entrepreneurial when you were younger? No, no, I sold I had lemonade stands. That's about (laughs) that's that's about it. No, I have not. I was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, I think all of us founders are a little bit crazy. I don't think you could be uh, defined as not crazy uh, being a founder. Uh, uh, By the way, a lemonade stand is a great foundation um, for entrepreneurial uh, learnings as well. There's there's a lot that you learned in that. Um, when you were growing up, was there anybody else that was an entrepreneur, somebody in your family? No. Uh, somebody that you got to see do this type of stuff? No, I am um, a mill girl. Do you know what a mill girl is? I grew up in a mill I don't village. know what a mill girl is. Okay. I grew up. Okay. They call us wool heads or, uh, you know, sometimes cotton heads or lint heads. Um, those labels tend to stick while you're growing up like that. But my family all worked in a textile mill for generations. My mom and dad worked there until they died. Um, And that's what I was expected to do. But I was a smart mouth and decided to rebel. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did. So, and how did that go over that you were like, no, the the mill's not for me? Oh, not good. My mom... (laughs) I won't tell you what she said to me, but in effect, it was something like, um, 
you're going to be the biggest educated idiot ever created. <laughs> she wanted me to do something that had a, a, a guaranteed income. So when you started the Georgia Genealogist, um, what was, was it just you in the beginning? Yes, it's always been just me. Uh, I have a partner now, okay. but the partner only works with me on certain projects. Like we partner with the army to do that contract work. Um, other And my husband has retired and he immediately uh, went to work for me. He does not like that, but he does it. And, um, <laughs> and then I do all of the rest of the research with a little bit of help from a granddaughter in D.C., where the archives okay. are. Um, yeah, that was a, sounds like it was a short retirement for your husband there. Oh, it uh, was. But uh, you know that, that that's kind of what happens when you're when you're married to an entrepreneur. Um, so okay, so you you started this company, and and you didn't uh, you'd never started anything before. Um, was there anything that was made you nervous or concerned about making this jump and oh, leap into being a business owner? I had no idea how to market. No idea. But I had a conversation with my husband and he gave me some good advice. He's like, you know, if you're if you had a broken piece of plumbing, you wouldn't just jump right in. You'd figure out how to do it on YouTube. There's got to be some way you can figure out how to do this. Right. YouTube, maybe. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, as it as it turned out at that time, there wasn't a lot on YouTube. So um, I struggled a little bit, but I took a six weeks marketing course and um Learned a lot, learned how to build my own website, um, felt very comfortable doing that after about five years. And um, then just, you know, still I was petrified. I needed a certain amount of money um, to make a go of it. And I was terrified I was not going to make that much money. So it was it it was really difficult <laughs> in the beginning, but it just turned out well. Yeah. What, what, what was that number that you were shooting for that, like, I need to make this much? It was low. It was really low. My husband, when I told him I got fired in email, he was very concerned because we were going to be about 70,000 short the next year. And uh, he panicked a little bit. So um, yeah. I wasn't even asking. Near, I mean, I, I charged like $30 for one client uh, for 20 hours. I mean, I was desperate. So, um, oh, wow. as it went, as time went on and I got better and more educated and felt more comfortable, um, with what I was doing, I just increased exponentially that amount per hour. And, um, I'm yeah. very comfortable today. Yeah. So looking back, you, you picked that, um, $30 number that was 20 hours of work. <laughs> That's a dollar 50 an hour. Uh, in, in, you got paid, which is no matter when this was, and it probably wasn't that long ago, that was definitely below minimum wage. Um, like, how did you think through the, the pricing of this? And was it purely like, I need something and this is what I think they'll pay? That, that's exactly what it was. I thought that's what the market would bear. Genealogists are poor. We don't normally have the income that I have. So, um, it's not uncommon to find genealogists doing just what you discuss. They have a side hustle. They have a daytime job, a full-time job. And then in the evenings, on the weekends, they do this. Because you can't, you just, it's difficult to make it, make a living doing this. So um, 
I just tried to pay for my education so I could be stronger and have more strengths in the field than I did have. And that worked for a little bit. And then my husband was the one who actually encouraged me strongly to raise that price a little bit per hour. So um, now I'm, I'm pretty well. Um, for Georgia, I'm probably the most expensive genealogist you could hire. Yeah. As you've um, raised those prices, have you gotten pushback from clients in terms no. of the rate? Okay. No. I never get clients from Georgia. Rarely do I get clients from Georgia unless it's a legal client who's involved with a probate case or something like that. And the court has said, find a genealogist to help you. Um, but generally, no. My, my, a lot of my cases are from, um, and a lot of my clients are from California. And they don't complain. They write the check. Huh. Interesting. I, I mean, I think that's a great um, lesson for our listeners, because this is actually an area that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have challenges with of worrying about how much they're charging and is this too much and am I going to lose business because of that? It's and I a think we've heard concern. time and time again. Yeah, because uh, like the situation you were in that you you needed to make ends meet. Uh, and so that's why you take a $30, 20-hour client and get $1.50 an hour, right? Yeah, I did that for, I did that for about a year. Um, and then... I was working towards certification, which is the ultimate um, credibility for a genealogist, is to be certified. It's, it's an extensive uh, process. It's difficult. Not many people want to do it. I think there are probably around 250 worldwide who have the certification credential. And so I knew uh -huh. I needed to work toward that. And that commands a higher price per hour when you have that. Um, and so right. I, I knew that had to happen and it took me four years to get there of preparation, wow. education, wow. writing the portfolio, things like that. So, um, okay. You're in an interesting space and I, I have this question. I, I don't normally ask questions too deeply in the business, but I, I got to ask you this. So you're involved in a space where sometimes you discover things that are, uh, badly unexpected, right? Like, like yes. it, it's a bad surprise and you have to deliver that news to a client. How do you handle delivering this very surprising bad news to a client? My letter of agreement, every client has to sign a letter of agreement. Mine's very detailed. Uh, it tells the client what he can expect from me and what I expect from the client. And in that letter of agreement, there is a statement uh, that, that asks if they want to be notified, if they want to know if I find an unexpected kinship, a non-paternal event, um, anything like that. So that's discussed at the beginning of the project. And then by the time I found it, find it, if there is something like that, there's no worry. I just say, okay, here we are. Do you want to proceed or do you want to, you know, what do you, do you want to take some time and think about this. Um, do you need to put the pillow over your head? I, you know, so at that point, it's up to the client what they want to do and how they want to proceed. Right. Um, okay. So without sharing any names, what's like the craziest thing that you've seen uh, in your searches? Um, we do a lot of army, a, a lot of army contract work. 
And one of the really weird ones I had uh, was a case where the soldier was supposed to have been adopted by a single man. And this, this man adopted several young male children. Um, it wasn't in Georgia, it was in another state. But as time went on, I realized not only was it not a formal adoption, but there might have been some other reason this guy had these children. Um, and it took us, it took me about 35 or 40 hours to determine where this kid was, uh, where the soldier was. He ended up in an orphanage because his father, the adoptive father, um, had given him up because the town threatened him that if <laughs> he could either go to jail or he could give up the children. And it was written in the newspaper articles. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Let's switch gears um, and, you know, let's talk about the stress of owning a business and, and working um, for yourself and, and doing the work that you do. Like, how do you manage it? Um, how do you kind of think about it? Uh, because some of this, I, I could imagine, could become, you could become obsessed with some of this stuff and trying to, it's like playing detective. So how do you manage that stress for yourself? You know, we, we have genealogists have this thing about being woken up in the middle of the night by people who have passed uh, because they want to be found. And strange things happen like that sometimes. But, um, you know, I cocoon. I, I just, I get into my office, I close the doors, and I do what needs to be done, work those deadlines, and then let it go. Uh, it hasn't always been that way, you know. My husband says that I binge research. I'll, I won't research for three weeks, and then I research 36 hours straight. Um, and I do some of that. He's right. I do that. So that's how I handle it. I, I, don't, very, I don't do it very well very often, um, but I do just close myself up and do what needs to be done, and that tends to help a little bit. Just get it out of the way. Yeah. Do you, um, do you do something? So it sounds like you kind of like really strictly divide work time and, and life with, uh, family time and personal time. Like, are, is there a, a clear line for you? Like, Hey, I only work from eight to five Monday to Friday. Like, do you divide up life like that? Or, or do you do something else to keep those lines? Uh, I don't, clear? I don't. When I tell you that I'm all consumed with my work, that's true. And it's so bad, Sanjay, that sometimes my family will start to say something to me and I start talking about my job and they disperse. You know, they don't, they don't <laughs> want to hear it anymore. <laughs> so, and, and that happens when I'm in a meeting too. You know, if I'm in a meeting, I start walking towards someone. Um, then they're like, oh, here she comes, here she comes, run, run. But um, <laughs> for a while, I couldn't talk about anything but my job. I've learned not to do that so that my relationships right. will stay intact. Um, but, and occasionally I'll go to a softball game for my grandchildren or a tennis tournament or a tennis match. And that helps a little bit. But I, 
you know, like everyone else, I sleep very little and I work a lot. And it's a constant battle to not blur those lines. And and sometimes right. I'll, I'll tell you, I have a supporting husband and that helps. He will say to me, well, the softball games this afternoon, I guess I'll go represent us since you're not going to go. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I, you know, I, I work yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. And it, it sounds very much like you're a founder who, and an entrepreneur who loves what you do. Do you feel like it's work or is it fun for you? It can be work. Some cases can be work um, and not not enjoyable. Uh, that tends to happen with the legal cases. They're very cut and dried and you do what the court tells you to do and you don't venture outside those guidelines. The Army is very much like that. Um, you have a task. It's There's a red border. You don't cross the red border. You stay right within your little area. Um, Otherwise, if I'm given free reign, I become dangerous. Um, in the as you know, I mean, I do ten hours and don't charge the client. I've done that before because the case is so interesting. And ninety percent of my client work is like that. You know, I'll do much more than I get paid for. They would never pay for what I research for the number of hours I research. So, um, yeah. Do Do you worry about that? Of like the the time that you spend that you're not billing or I don't just... I, I don't my husband does <laughs> he's like do you have toggle do you have your toggle running I'm like no he's like turn on your toggle turn on your toggle <laughs> but you know what what's yeah. the client I, I require all of my all of the money up front that's another way I'm different you don't get that you have to trust okay. me enough to get the product that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do so when I say a 20-hour project is $3,000, I get that up front. I don't want to have to go after you or go after an attorney. Mm. I don't want to do that. Let's pay me up front. We've got a letter of agreement, and let's go from there. Everybody's happy. I'll yeah. do my job. I want to be sure you pay. And I've been stiffed a few right. times. You know, I learned that in a hurry. Hey, yeah, so I was... I was going to ask about that. Is that a change from before? Before, did you used to get paid after and then had an issue? I did 50-50, 50 at the beginning of the project, and then 50 cent afterwards. A couple of times I sent the finished product trusting that I would get paid and didn't. Um, so hmm. it didn't take very long for me to know, hey, if you want to hire me, these are my credentials. You can trust me. You have this avenue if I do something that's not right. You can report me to the board. I lose my certification. Um, otherwise, you send the money. You pay me the whole thing right. up front. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. Like a lot of entrepreneurs go through these challenges and they, they figure out different ways uh, of making sure that they get paid. Um, you know, Somebody in your situation might take 50% up front, but don't send the final files until you get the last payment, right? To to make sure you get paid. Um, versus what you've done is is simplifies your back end operations, right? Sure you just have does. to deal with payment one time and, and you know. So when you That's do it. that though, 
do you feel like it locks you in to say like, hey, I told you this was a 20 hour project. And if it goes to 40, do you feel like you can go back and get those 20, 20 hours worth of payment or do you I, just kind of I write do, that and off? that's addressed in my letter of agreement. All of that's addressed. You know, it's hard to turn right. that toggle off if you're finding information that's going to be valuable to the goal of that project. Um, I, right. I will stop and get permission, written permission from the client before I proceed. I explain to them, this is where I'm at. Got this it. is what I found. It's going to take a little bit longer. Do you want to proceed or do you want me to just stop with what I have? Ten out of ten times they're going to say proceed. I mean, they never say, right. let's stop. So, but right. everything's in writing. And, and in those everything. cases, then... Do you ex expect them to pay right then or do you wait till after since you do have it in writing? I do wait till after, but they don't get any finished product until that payment is made. Nothing. They get okay. nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great, great, great advice to our entrepreneurs that are out there that tend to deliver before getting payment. It, it, it's a hard situation to be in because again, you want to have the work and you want to get paid but sometimes you deliver the work and you don't get paid. So yeah, and you have to be hard nosed thing. about it. You have to be firm, yeah. and it. I can't tell you how much a contract or a letter of agreement is going to help that if you're in a situation that requires something like that. In writing, you'd be surprised right. at how often writing um, comes in handy when they expect A, B, C, D will happen, and if A, B, C, D happens, then they're going to have to pay. So. It's just, it's not yeah. a problem anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you've been running now uh, the Georgia genealogist for 10 years, right? 10. Do I remember yeah. that right? About um, 10 years. Okay. About 10. Yeah. December will be 10. Okay. So coming up on your, your 10th anniversary, um, thinking about everything that you've been through, uh, over these last 10 years, if you could go back in time and do something differently, what would that be and why? I would finish my degree. I did not do that. Um, I was, um, I decided to be busy raising a family. And so I let that slide. I, I'm not superwoman. I tried it. I could not do it. Um, did not want to do it. So I let that slide. And as a matter of fact, um, I'm about to go into, I'm about to expand the areas I research in, and I'm about to go uh -huh. into investigative genetic genealogy. Do you know what that is? No, I don't know what, is, what that is. Um, you help law enforcement identify potential criminals um, of uh, violent crimes, and you also are able to identify John Doe's and Jane Doe's. So, um, got it. Golden State Killer that field. And Georgia has just right. passed a law recently that says they're going to use that science to do that. And they've had several cases solved already uh, this year since they've begun using it. And um, I guess I'll be the only one in the state who does that. So. Okay. Yeah. It, it sounds like if you hadn't become a genealogist, um, that you'd want to be uh, some kind of private eye or detective. I, I would. Am I reading this right? I would. I would love it. I don't know how I'd tackle anybody, any husband who's cheating. I don't know how that would go. You know, but I probably am larger than most men, so I it might be effective. I don't know. But um, I would, definitely, because there is an element of uh, the hunt that we all 
have in common. So, um, you know, I just being able to give that lead to law enforcement, knowing that you have a potential um, perpetrator, it, I, I can't imagine how that must feel. I've talked to another genealogist who does that now. She's very well known. And she said when she first started it, she was the one who pioneered the process. Um, she was sitting on her sofa and knew she had found him. And at that moment, she just had, you know, an overwhelming sense of satisfaction. And I think right. I, I want to also have that. And, and I have yeah. a little bit of a, you know, a desire to go after those bad guys. <laughs> I, it makes sense based on everything that you've told me so far. Um, okay. I've got, I've got two more questions for you. One, sure. um, related to what you do. Uh, okay. Somebody that is, uh, trying to figure out their own genealogy stuff, um, and is having a hard time. What is like one tip or trick that you wish everybody knew that would just make their lives easier in figuring out their own genealogy history? Don't believe everything you read on Ancestry.com. These people, <laughs> they will take, we, we call them name collectors or, um, you know, uh, body collectors. They want a body to fill that space. They don't care if it's right or wrong. Um, make sure every generation is connected to the earlier one with evidence. That's all you have to do. That sounds easy. It's not always easy because you end up with brick walls. Um, and it's very possible that you have to go into some really deep research. I spent six years on a, a personal line of mine. It took me six years to resolve it. Um, and we used um, a combination of evidence. It's called indirect evidence. Not one, not one piece of paper helped draw the conclusion, but many pieces of evidence helped me identify the ancestor. And that's what people don't want to do. They don't want to put the time and effort into it. It's easier to go to Ancestry and say, ah, that tree has my ancestor. So I'll plug it in there, you know. And um, yeah. that's not the way it really works. You can do that, but you're celebrating yeah. someone else's family, not your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, si six years of work on one case, uh, that was a big billable uh, project there that you had there. Well, it was uh, a personal they case. Paid up, it, uh... it was a personal case. No. <laughs> uh, you know, and it was the female, the female of, I couldn't identify the female. So you yeah. know how that is. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. Last question for you. Sure. Um, what would you tell somebody who's thinking about taking the leap uh, and launching a side hustle or, or launching a small business like you did? Um, what advice would you give them? Um, I think in the beginning, it's very important to have some money saved. Um, I, I did have access to some, to some, um, money before I started so I wouldn't starve. But I've seen numerous people um, start off and just take that leap with no preparation. You know, quit their job and, and try to get started. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So I would yeah. say have some sort of funds available that you can tap into 
um, if you're not having clients. The next thing I would say was learn how to market yourself. Um, that's probably the most important thing I can tell anybody because my, one of my things I was yeah. terrified about was that nobody would find me. You know, on the internet, how do people find everybody? So I put my name right. on every possible list there was. In every archive I worked in, my name is on that list. My name is in all the genealogy list. And I get all of my business from those lists, all of it, except the Army contract wow. business, every bit of it. Right. So learn how to market yourself. That's very important. And then, um, you know, have some faith that you can do it. If you can't do it, heck, go to YouTube. It'll probably be there now. <laughs> They'll help you figure it out. <laughs> Lots of free classes. Probably will be there now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Yvonne, this has been fantastic. Where can our listeners find and connect with you online? Um, website, georgiagenealogist.com. Um, that I actually have two websites and one feeds you to the other one. Um, so I'm reachable through contact there, through email, and I answer all of my emails promptly. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on today. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Sanjay. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find out more about me at my website, sanjayparikh.com. <laughs>